Man, I'll tell you what, it's a great day to be together. We're in the AC and we are together as the family of God. We've got donuts in the commons. I mean, the day can't get much better, although lunch is coming, so hang on. It's going to be here. But uh, thank you for being here today. What a great time to celebrate Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He has so much for us in our life, and we live every day as worship to Him, not just on Sunday. Every single day, the way we treat others, the way we talk, uh, the way we carry ourselves, we want Him to get all the glory in our life. Indeed, we want His kingdom to come in our life, not our plan, but His plan. And so every day is given to Him. Whether you're here in this room or you're joining us online, man, I want you to know you have a God who loves you completely. He has so much to give you. And it's just for us to say, God, I'm home. I want to be called your child. Give me in my life what I can't give myself. And we know that we get that straight from our Heavenly Father. We rejoice in Him today. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. Most of our text is going to be on the screen this morning as we talk about a prodigal father and what that might look like and mean for us in this story that if you grew up in church, it's going to be very familiar to you. And uh, my hope is today we'll give you some different facets of that story that you might can take home and, and think about and consider. How do we imitate this father who loves so unconditionally? How do we offer that kind of love, not only to our kids, but to those around us? So while today is Father's Day, and we are celebrating that, happy Father's Day, by the way, we also think about moms in the room, too, and just ultimately as parents, we truly want to give the very best to our kids, don't we? And so the best way to do that is to look at our Heavenly Father and discover how we can live that out every single day. You know, the story that we're going to look at today starts off, there was a man who had two sons, and I have two sons. Now, let me tell you, I, I was such a blessed dad in that I got to be their youth minister. So when they're in junior high and high school, uh, they, uh, we got to do a lot of different things together. It was a true blessing for me. I'm not sure how it was from their perspective that their dad was around all the time, but at any rate, we've got a lot of memories. So uh, both of uh, them with me in Memphis, down in Orange Mound, painting houses for the underprivileged. We've had the opportunity of standing in a soup line in Kansas City Thanksgiving Day and serving those who didn't have a meal for the day. We've joined each other with uh, their friend group, downtown Kansas City, handing out socks and personal hygiene items to the homeless. And we've had all these different great memories along the way where we have poured into one another, we've supported each other, we've pointed the way, we've, we've encouraged each other on this spiritual journey. Now, I don't want to uh, kind of create this fabrication here because they were true boys for every sense of the word. There were moments, for instance, when my oldest son, uh, not recognizing maybe how um, easy it was to access social media, wrote some things about me. And then I got to print those off and we had a discussion about some of those thoughts <laughs> that he had. Uh, so that, th those were, that was a fun moment. Or the time when my youngest, Garrett, uh, we was getting ready to go on a youth trip during the summer, and uh, they did some chores around the house, which we paid them for uh, a little bit, and uh, we paid them a dollar. And I just checked my wallet on the way out the door and discovered Garrett didn't think that I'd paid him enough. And so he took, <laughs> he took one of my hundreds out and put the dollar bill in. So we had a discussion about that. So I don't want you to think that my boys are perfect. I'm not perfect. No one here is perfect, church. We all need forgiveness, don't we? But thank God we've got a heavenly father who's willing to give it. 
who loves us beyond measure. And the story we're going to look at today in all of chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories because he is interacting with the world that the religious leaders of his day want nothing to do with. Jesus is eating with sinners. It's an incredible moment because Jesus is opening doors that the Jewish nation has stayed away from, kept everything at arm's length. Jesus is hanging out with people who they would not give the time of day to. They would walk around them in the marketplace. They would not say good morning to them. They were not welcome in the synagogue, in the moments of worship. These are the kind of people that Jesus was hanging out with. And what we discover in the stories, all three of them, is God is way more involved and wants to be a part of lost coins, lost sheep, and lost sons who have come home. He's more celebratory in those found things than he is in what they did while they were lost. And thank God we have a God who is like that in our own lives, who wants to pour into us. And he says, look, I've seen where you've been. I know what you've done, and I love you anyway. That's the kind of God I want to serve. How about you? That's the kind of love that I want in my life, that unconditional, no strings attached. I just want you to be a part of my family. You're my sons and daughters, and I love you despite the choices you might make in life. That's the God that I serve. Now, our story begins this morning in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Well, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I want you to think about that for a moment. A son who, who goes away disrespects the family name and his father and his God, has this kind of lifestyle that is unbecoming of someone who is supposed to be upstanding and a God follower, throws it all away, and eventually, after all the money is spent, recognizes and realizes his friend group was only there because he had money. And now he's starving. He has nothing to his name. And in his mind, he's thinking... Even the servants back home have enough food to eat. Maybe it's time for me just to go home. Later on in our story, we'll discover that there's actually no confession necessary. There's no promise from the offender that there's going to be better behavior in the future. We simply have a loving father who's standing on his porch, looking down the road in the distance past the city gate to see is... That person coming, is that my son's gate? Because I'm ready for him to come home. I love him that much. Despite what he's done, I'm looking down the road for him to come back home. That's the kind of father we find in our story and one that reflects our own heavenly father as we begin thinking about coming home as well. 
In Hebrew culture, it is traditional for the village to raise, help raise kids. And we've heard that story before, it takes a village. But the truth is, in Hebrew culture, that's very true. So a mom and dad are pouring into their kids, but if mom and dad aren't around, the rest of the adults in the village have the ability to, to discipline, to guide, to mentor, to shape the kids of the village. And so you've got this idea that everybody is in the context of how to raise kids. I don't know how many of you like comedy, but anybody here know Sinbad, the comedian Sinbad? Not personally, but you've heard him before. Sure. Some of us in here have heard him. Don't look right now, but when you get home, get on YouTube, look some of the stuff up. It's pretty funny. Now, I resonate with Sinbad because he grew up in my time period, so the stuff he talks about I relate with really well. For instance, talking about raising kids together. Simad says, there, there were moments at school I would make a bad choice, a bad decision, um, and maybe the weekend I made a bad decision, and I'm walking home from school, and the dads that are on my street are already out at the end of their driveway with their belt off. I heard what you did! And they're just whooping him as he's getting home, and he's going to get another one when he gets home too, that, that kind of idea. Simbad kind of relates the reality of kind of this group idea. Every village in Israel had a group of elders that kind of governed how things happened within the village or the town. And so if there was a kid like in this story who ventured out and, and disregarded the, the respect that was needed for the family name or how he was to live for God, he was never really welcomed back. And the elders, if they were aware the kid was trying to come back home after he had been out and, and lived an ungodly kind of life and had disrespected the family name and had just kind of lived like this kid did in our, in our story, the elders would meet him at the city gate with empty clay jars. And they would throw the jars at the kid's feet, basically saying, your life are like the broken pieces of this jar and you're not welcome here. Don't come into our city you're not welcome back home. And so as I read this story, I can't help but think of that idea and a father who's on his porch looking down the road to see past the city gate, is that my son? Why? Because I want to get to him before the city elders. I want my kiddo to know that I love him no matter. As long as he's coming home, that's the kind of kiddo I want in my house. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. That's the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father because the truth is, church, each and every one of us have made poor decisions along the way, but we serve a God who's willing to leap off the porch, miss every step on the way down, runs out, embraces us, kisses us, forgives us before we ever have the chance to say, I'm sorry. That's the kind of God we serve, the Heavenly Father that we have. While this is excellent news for prodigals like myself, it's also a little bit disturbing because forgiveness is one of those gifts from God that cuts really both ways. We are all in need of forgiveness. Would you agree, church? We all need forgiveness because every single one of us have kind of acted out in our own selfish ways. Some of us have said hurtful things to those that we claim that we love. We have quenched the spirit of our kids at times as well. We've been spiteful to folks that we work with or in our extended family. But forgiveness is just that, forgiveness of sin. Somebody has done something wrong. If you need to forgive someone, 
It lends the idea that someone's fallen short of the glory of God. And most of us want forgiveness, but giving forgiveness, that maybe takes a little bit longer. We want forgiveness for us right away, but extending that might take a little bit of time because most of us insist on penance from that other person who has wronged us. A a heartfelt confession to pay for that wrongdoing. We want our pound of flesh. And then Jesus gives this story about forgiveness with no strings attached. Unconditional. So what is Jesus reminding us of in this story? That the love of God both fulfills and violates our sense of what is right. The love of God goes both directions. It fulfills and violates our sense of what is right because Jesus in this story is telling a darker side. A young man so hungry for the knowledge of the world that he wishes his father dead. Can you imagine this conversation? Walking up to your dad, I'm ready to head out and do my thing in the world and I don't care what you've done. Matter of fact, it's sad right now that you're not dead because I can go ahead and get the money. Would you be willing while you're living to go ahead and give me my half of the inheritance. What's interesting in the story is the father does just that. The younger son goes to a a bigger town, no doubt, that has more opportunities for the world to enter his senses. And it says he squanders his living on riotous living. What does that mean? For that young man, for us to kind of get our head wrapped around it, that's, that's debauchery every night. That's out late night drinking all the time. That is prostitutes. That is the drug of the day. It is selfish and self-fulfilling living. He finally gets to the point when all the money is gone, which means all the friends are gone. Nobody is willing to help him. There is a, a shortage of food in the land, and now this Jewish guy is feeding the pigs. By the way, in the story, Jews would never be in touch with pigs. They're unclean. And so it's just a a one more thing that the kid has to deal with. And so he finally discovers, I can just go home and be a servant. There's a lot of food for those people who are working for my dad. And so on the way home, he calculates his confession. Verse 18, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I want you to think about where his mind and heart is in this moment. It's a young man that recognizes where he's been, what he's done, but knows what his heavenly, what his father rather can supply. It's a guy that says, I have absolutely wrecked your family name and I'm not worthy to have your name, Dad, anymore. If you will just let me muck the stalls, I'll repair the roof, I'll plow the fields, I'll sleep in a corner, I'll be a fly on the wall. If I could just come home, could you find it in your heart to at least let me be one of the servants in your house? And what's the brother living on when he comes home anyway? Because he's already spent his half of the inheritance He's coming home to live on his brother's half of the inheritance. 
But no sooner does the dad see past the city gate, see his son coming down the, the street, the road, that he has the fatted calf killed. There are no extra steps between the return and the welcome of the father. The son coming home and the welcome of the father. They don't get together and the dad says, you know what, why don't you go to your room and think about it for a minute. There isn't the, the belt slapping the belt loops as it comes out, getting ready for a whipping. It isn't, you know, we're going to go a, a six-month probation here to see if you actually are sorry for what you've done. No, the father says without a word from the son, go to my house to the servant and get the finest robe. In the original translation, it would have been dad's robe. In other words, not just any robe. Get the robe that I wear and put it on my son. A new ring for his finger. He doesn't have any shoes on. Get new shoes for him to wear. It's time for a brand new start. You can be different because, church, we have a heavenly father who allows it to be that way. And maybe you might have some here watching us online or in this audience who who are struggling because you know the poor decisions you've made in your past and you've had, you've had trouble kind of leaving that behind. You're kind of distant because you feel the guilt of what you're carrying. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you uh, to check out one of our ministries here at Crosspoint. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It happens every Tuesday night on the other side of this wall in our youth room. It's a great 90 minutes to be together. We start with worship and then break out into gender-specific groups where we just talk about the baggage that we have in life. It's a non-judgmental atmosphere, a place where you can discover how to move on and embrace the life that God has for you. It's interesting in our story, the dad starts the party right away. There is no waiting for the big brother to come home, the extended family to be informed. No, it's like we are going to party right now. And he breaks out the karaoke machine and the fog machine and the barbecue is on. It's time for a good time. And then the the older brother, rather, begins to come home. The day's done. He's hung up all the things that he needs to in the workplace and now he's ready for a shower. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Well, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, I don't know if you've read the rest of that story, but I don't know if I would have been the guy, the servant, to tell that story to the older brother. I would have sent somebody else a little less fortunate than me. The older brother has got some things going on. How many of you in here are firstborn? I'm a firstborn. Raise your hand. A lot of firstborns in here. I'm just going to say, we take it on the chin a lot for our younger siblings, don't we? We really do. I mean, I had a lot of amens for a service. It's true. I mean, they're, they're among, because we're kind of guinea pigs with the, with the parents, right? They, they're working to, uh, to figure out how they should parent and what they should do. I mean, for instance, I, I didn't get to go to my prom, my senior prom, or the homecoming dances. My younger brothers got to, the two did. I'm not angry, though. I'm not holding a grudge. Uh, there was some harsher discipline, corporal punishment with me than the two younger ones. It was a little less the more years rolled on. Uh, my curfew was early. Theirs was late in my eyes anyway. There were a lot of things that were very different, and the, the older son here seems to, to, be, to be having a rough time of it. 
But my guess is that the older son was not angry at the brother's return or even the father's forgiveness, but the celebration. I mean, why would you, you know what your son's been out here doing, and this is how we're going to welcome him home? I mean, let the penitent come home, but let him come home on his knees with big crocodile tears, not to a party. I mean, where is, where's the moral instruction in that kind of welcome? How are we going to learn anything? What about facing the music because of what you have done? I mean, what kind of world would this be if we celebrated all the sinners like this and those who are still out hardworking in the field, we didn't party for them? What do you have to do to get a little attention around here, the older brother is asking? And what does the older brother say once he discovers what's happening? Verse 28, the older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All of these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Oh, the older brother. He is livid, not happy. And what we discover in the story is that he actually cuts himself off from the whole family, not just the brother. And this, this is where our loving father earns his title. He doesn't take a swing at the older brother. He doesn't open up the Torah and explain to him what it means to honor your father and mother because in the moment, the father knows that he's lost both sons. One to a life of reckless abandonment and the other to a life of angry self-righteousness. You see, the older brother wants the love from his father because he's always done the right thing. And the father does love the older son. And he loves the younger son, but not for anything that they have done or not done. The father loves because that's who he is. He shares his love because that's who he is. And the older one stands outside the party, outside the house, outside the father's love, refusing an invitation to any of it. What we discover in our story, you see, is that the father is a prodigal too who never tires of giving his love away. The prodigal is also a father who gives his love away. And in verse 31, we see what the father says. He says to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. Church, I'm not sure that we say this enough, but if you have been baptized into Christ, you are heirs to the kingdom. That means you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and God owns everything. That means you do too. The psalmist said the cattle on a thousand hills belong to our God, and that is so, so true. The Father's love for one does not preclude the other. The younger son's recklessness cannot deflect his love any more than the elder son's righteousness because they are family. They're together. They're on this journey together. They belong to one another. 
And the father eventually says in verse 32, We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Dad says we had to celebrate, and we do. You see, it's an invitation to that oldest son back into a relationship, not only with the father, but also with his brother. I find it interesting in this story that Jesus doesn't finish it. We don't know the end of the story, but I think Jesus does that on purpose so that we could finish it for ourselves. What would we do in the moment? Where do we fit in the story? How do we want things to end up? You see, we can, we can play the older brother or the younger brother. And maybe you've been that parent who's been unconditionally loving your kids. But ultimately, it's up to us. Do we stand outside the celebration and the party with our arms folded being right? Or do we give up our rights? We go into the house where the celebration is, and we sit down at a table full of saints and scoundrels, brothers and sisters, receiving the unconditional love of an absolutely incredible father. My hope is that each and every one of us want to go in and sit down at the table. That, that even though we might have different opinions or we've lived life a little bit differently, ultimately we know that we all need God. Every single one of us need that cross. There's no one in here better than anyone else. And at the foot of the cross, it's level playing field. And so as we think about our, our kids and extended family on this uh, Father's Day, my hope is that your desire would be to, to really think about what it means to imitate a loving father. How do I live a life where I give him the glory in all things that I do and say? How do I let bygones be bygones, forgive and move forward so that I can come in and be a part of the celebration? That's what God wants for each and every one of us. And so as we sing this next song, my guess is uh, there might be some here that are struggling with how do I leave behind the baggage that I have? I've not always made great choices, but I want to come back home. God is waiting on the porch for you, and he will miss every step to jump into the yard and run to you as you come home. He's just waiting for you to come and show up. He wants you as part of his family. He's forgiven you. His love is beyond measure. And so today you could say yes to Jesus Christ, be baptized into his name, come up out of that water, a brand new creation full of the Holy Spirit, ready to take on the world because you've got the Father's love within you. Or maybe you just need a prayer, a reminder that God hasn't forgotten you, that he is with you. Find one of our shepherds during the singing of this song. They'll be gathered along the wall of this room. Let them pray for you and over you as you say yes to coming to the table and enjoying the unbelievable, unconditional love of our Heavenly Father. So let's stand together as a family of God and celebrate His name.